Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Philadelphia podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Herding, and I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Philadelphia's best sports medicine physicians, physical therapists, strength coaches, and personal trainers. These movement professionals are the leaders driving the healthcare revolution in the Philadelphia region. During each episode, we gain valuable insight into how these individuals are changing the game. Please stop by precisionperformancept.com backslash fitness with a PH Philadelphia to subscribe and learn more. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. John Herding here again with our podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Jim Rudder of Philadelphia Barbell Club. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. Thanks, John. Jim is a stalwart in the Philadelphia fitness community, and he's doing some great things and has you know, he's contributed greatly to the Philadelphia weightlifting community as well as nationally and internationally with some of the publications he's put out. But Jim, give us we'll just quickly get into it because like I said, I think you'll give a better bio than I ever will about who you are, how you came to be, some of the successes you've had with your club and um, and then some of the things you're doing outside of the club. But Jim, can you kind of just give us a brief, background of how you kind of came to be starting the Philadelphia Barbell Club, how you got into the Philadelphia fitness community, and what what are the things that you're you're continuing to do to impact the community at large? Sure. Okay, so I started competing in weightlifting in 2000. Uh, I played college football, and then I got into weightlifting, you know, a few years after that. And around 2010, I was working full-time as a writer and editor. And I was looking for a place in the city to train because I sold my car and I couldn't drive to Morristown anymore where I was training. Uh, That's where East Coast Gold used to have a place for lifters to train. It's still there. It's just now uh, no longer connected to East Coast Gold. And so I went to Google and I typed in, Philadelphia weightlifting, and there were no clubs in Philadelphia at the time, no barbell clubs. Uh, but I started getting hits for this new thing called CrossFit, which, to be honest, in 2010, I had never heard of. And so I reached out to a few of them, and the ones that got back to me, uh, of the ones that got back to me, were uh, CrossFit Center City. Uh, they're currently owned by Aaron Davidson. And she invited me to come in there and just train and you know, she and I got to know each other that summer in 2010. Uh, I trained there into the fall, and then in the, the spring, she told me that one of her New Year's resolutions, or goals, I should say, was to do a weightlifting meet, because she had competed in CrossFit, trained in CrossFit, she really enjoyed the weightlifting, and she asked me would I help her and a few other members and coaches prepare for a weightlifting meet. So I thought, you know, okay, I can do this. I've been competing now for about 11 years. And so I helped her and her coaching staff, and I think three or four of her senior members get ready for me. And we all went and did that. And the membership heard about it, and they got excited. And they said, well, would Jim be willing to teach, like, just weightlifting classes? And I was like, sure, but my days are busy. So we set it up that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday nights, and Saturday mornings, I would coach weightlifting for about an hour and a half at a time each session. And we would open it up to certain people, like senior members of the club, people that already knew the basics of the snatch and clean and jerk and the squat, so that I wouldn't have to do as much teaching and I could really focus on just helping them to get better. And that was a big success. And she asked if we could run it again and help more people prepare. But this time she wanted to do two of those 90-minute sessions at a time. 
And I was like, all right, well, now this is starting to take some time up. Uh, however, it was uh, very rewarding for me. And within about a year of that, so now we're into 2012, I guess, the club had grown to a point where she could offer me a full-time position at a salary and benefits. And anybody who's ever done freelance writing knows that one of the more stressful aspects of that career is cobbling together your income every month from, you know, writing for magazines and publications and so forth. So I said, all right, I'll do this, you know, cause I can always go back to writing. I can always go back to editing. And I kept some of my positions, like for instance, up until spring of 2020, I continued to write for the Philadelphia Inquirer on a very regular basis. So we started a club, Liberty Barbell, and that was probably the first club that had been started in Philadelphia, I want to say since the 1990s. So we're 20 years on, and now there's finally a club in Philly. And the relationship was good but rocky, and we had our differences. And uh, I moved on and started Philadelphia Barbell Club at another CrossFit gym. And by this point, a few other clubs had sprung up in the area. You know, we're at 2015 now. And now King of Prussia, CrossFit King of Prussia has a barbell club. And I believe CrossFit Novum started a barbell club. And um, a few other places. Weightlifting was happening more now. Uh, and I, in 2015, got my own facility for the first time outside of a CrossFit. And then we built a club up there at about 30 members or so. And I was like, all right, well, we need a bigger and a nicer space. So in 2017, we moved into our current location in Port Richmond. And since that time, don't remember the exact number now, but it's over 25 uh, national medalists that we've produced. Mm -hmm. We've put, I think, 10 or 11 members on Team USA. Most of those have medaled at international meets. We've had the third best women's team in the country twice, the second best women's team in the country last year, and that's at senior nationals. That's And as of right now, we th I think we have three members on Team USA. Uh, I know I have to go to Youth Worlds, not have to. I have the opportunity and the privilege to go to Youth Worlds in June uh, with a young athlete. Her name's Bella. And I have a lifter going to be in Uruguay later this summer. I have a lifter competing in Bahrain in July. So things are going very well. And I would say all told, we're probably about 55 competitors training with the club right now. Most of those are in-house. I have more remote athletes now than I ever have, which is also great. I'm actually Glad I've gotten more involved in remote coaching because sometimes you, you know, you really get fortunate in who reaches out and wants to connect and be trained by you. So, so that's where we're at right now. I think the big focus uh, this weekend coming up, we have Masters National Championships in Salt Lake City. And then after that, about eight weeks later, at the end of June, we have Nationals Week, which will be a of quad meet that includes over a span of 10 days youth national championships junior national championships 
under 25 national championships and then senior national championships. And we'll probably have about 20 to 25 athletes attending that week of competition. And that will be in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing what you've been able to build. And, and it's funny how, like, as I'm going through this stuff, like I, I, seeing the connections that are formed, right? Like, Aaron Davidson is an old stalwart with one of the original CrossFits in the city. And then to see how you grew out of that. And now you have your facility. How many square feet is it? About 20, no, about 2,500 square feet. Right. And, and it's a great facility that has, you know, everything that a, an Olympic lifter in the city needs. And it's, it's definitely a facility that's leading the way. And you just said it with all the numbers you threw out there with, the 25 national medalists, the three people currently on Team USA, the 10 or 11 Team USA members that you've coached, and then uh, you know all of this travel you're doing with the team, like you've you're, you've been recognized nationally for your skill, for the the strength of your athletes, and I think it's an amazing thing that again is kind of floating under the radar in Philly, but you're putting Philly on the scene nationally, which is great. Yeah, I, I one of the things I left out. It's just so new that I don't always remember to think about it. Is that uh, university national championships was held about a month ago mm-hmm. and we had uh, four athletes from our club uh, get selected to be to represent team USA so I was wrong we currently have six team USA members uh, because four of those university medalists will be representing team USA at a university meet in Mexico. It's like a university Pan American Championships, and that'll be held in Mexico. It's either in October or November. I'm not sure of the schedule yet. Which is amazing. So now that you've been around, you, you know, you've kind of pioneered weightlifting in the city. How have you kind of seen the weightlifting culture change in the city? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Rise Education Platform. Rise stands for Rehab Integrated into Sports Education. We offer solutions for business owners who want to bring more athletes into their practice, as well as clinicians to help them better understand how to integrate sports performance metrics into the rehab setting. Our 12-week master's class for clinicians offers solutions for clinicians to begin to implement these ideas right away. And our business mentorship helps business owners figure out the solutions that best suit their business's needs. Visit sportsrehabeducation.com for more information. Right up until March of 2020, it was pretty much uninterrupted growth. Mm-hmm. I think the number of clubs went, and this, and I mean that in, in Philadelphia and beyond. One of the other roles in which I serve is as president of the local weightlifting. USA Weightlifting divides local weightlifting up into state-based regions. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania and West Virginia is one region, and I'm the current president of that region. And I would say that going into March of 2020, there were probably about 40 to 50 active weightlifting clubs in Pennsylvania and West Virginia. That number is now down to about 35. Mm-hmm. But the interval from 2010 to 2020 was just one of a great amount of growth. Now, there was always some contraction, like, for instance, Across a generation, had a very active barbell club for a bunch of those years. They held some great meets out there in Horsham, and then they went in a different direction with their CrossFit and functional fitness training and didn't focus on the weightlifting as much anymore. 
Uh, and then other places have sprung up, like Philadelphia, which is housed by Requisite Fitness, which used to be called CrossFit 215. And that's where all the best meets are happening right now. All the best local competitions. It's a great facility, great training area, warm-up room, and a very nice place to host meets. And we're proud to be a part of what they are presenting, you know, three or four times a year there in competition. The goal, I think, now with weightlifting and with the state is to grow that number back up to at or above pre-pandemic levels. Mm -hmm. And that is a challenge. I think that people are only now recognizing that weightlifting competitions are coming back in a very real way and they're starting to become popular again. And nationally, that's happening. The USA Weightlifting held the American Open Series 1, also known as the Arnold, out in Columbus, Ohio, the first week of March. That was also held with the University National Championships. Mm -hmm. And it was the largest strength event ever hosted. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records now. Over 1,800 competitors. Uh, they had to move it to a separate facility because the normal venue for the Arnold couldn't host it anymore. So weightlifting is coming back. I think people are eager to be active again, to compete again. So now the goal is to build up the membership and get get as many people involved and introduce them to the sport and let them know what's happening in and around Philadelphia uh, as far as weightlifting and CrossFit is concerned. Yeah. So, so how are you getting people to do that? Because from my perspective, and maybe you can offer something different, is weightlifting was kind of one of those esoteric sports that nobody really knew about. People might have found it. And maybe this was prior to the CrossFit. I'm talking about prior to the CrossFit revolution, prior to maybe 2000-ish, mm-hmm. right? Where for from whatever path people found weightlifting, but there was kind of a fringe sport. And then CrossFit, from my perspective, brought weightlifting to the masses um, through the things that they were including through their workouts, like helping people to their back squatting heavier, their cleaning or their jerking or their snatching like under a barbell. And then from that, that's kind of like your history, like people start got introduced to these exercises and they wanted to focus more on them. And that's when you saw the boom in weightlifting. Is that still the case or how are people finding the sport still? Is it still? Are you seeing that they're they're still finding it kind of through being interested in CrossFit and then wanting to focus more on weightlifting? Or how are, how are you introducing people and what are some of the, the things you're using as president of the club to, to do so? I think there's three avenues right now through which people are finding weightlifting. Number one, as you mentioned, is CrossFit. I believe that CrossFit has been, in my 22 years in the sport, CrossFit has been the single greatest force driving participation and recruitment in weightlifting. And I can't thank CrossFit enough. It's enabled myself and literally dozens of other full-time professional coaches around the country to earn salaries, to be able to focus on becoming full-time coaches, to be able to invest in our own education as coaches. So CrossFit is still, I would say, a big driver of participation And then I think there are two other ways. Now, I played college football, as I mentioned, and the only power cleans we ever did were to get the ball on our shoulders to do military-style presses. Mm -hmm. 
we did bench press, deadlift, squat, otherwise. I had never seen the Olympic lifts until the 2000 Olympics. I was at a bar, and it happened to come on ESPN2 or whatever at, like, midnight. And I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of this sport. But now, over 90% of D1 football and basketball programs include the Olympic lifts as part of the regular training for their athletes. Now, they do variations that don't necessarily start from the floor. They do more power snatches and power cleans and full squat snatches or full squat cleans. But they do a lot of jerks. You know, volleyball players, basketball players regularly train power jerks and push jerks uh, to build up their vertical jump, to develop overhead strength. And so I think that a lot of athletes are coming out of college now having been exposed to the lifts through their sports such as football or volleyball or basketball. And they need another sport to play because, you know, let's face it, most even even at D1 schools, it's something like only 3% of the athletes ever move on to do anything else with their sports. I think it's even less than 3%. Uh, but weightlifting you can do forever, and it gives people an opportunity. And then finally, I think the third avenue in which people are finding weightlifting is that USA Weightlifting has made a significant push over the last four years to reach out to colleges and universities to start clubs. So, for instance, we are in the process of forming a club at Temple University. Right now we have... I think five or six athletes there that just no seven athletes there that competed at university nationals back in March, three of whom made that university team and medaled. And so the, they have a powerlifting club already. We're in the process of forming a weightlifting club there. We have helped athletes at Swarthmore College and Bryn Mawr College form weightlifting clubs. And I know that USA Weightlifting has hired a full-time person to coordinate uh, club activities at universities and colleges across the country. So hopefully that provides another avenue of growth as well. And I know that just in our club, we have student athletes from St. Joe's, Temple, Penn, Drexel, Rutgers. We've had athletes from Rowan. We've had athletes from Bryn Mawr, Swarthmore. Uh, so the university is, I hope, the next place where we can really start developing weightlifting in and around the city. Because there are, you know, I think it's like 40 universities and colleges within the greater Philadelphia area. And only a few of those have active weightlifting clubs. Right. So. And and that's a great mission because Philly is a hotspot for, for colleges and you know, as people get there and they're trying to find out ways that they can be more active and introducing them to the sport, I think it's a great outlet to continue to develop the sport in and around the city. It's a great untapped market. Yeah. So when you're going out there to these universities or there's someone that's new to fitness, they're just trying to get started again. Maybe they're a former college athlete. They took a couple, like 10, 20 years off because they got into, you know, life. And now they're trying to get back to get started and, and weightlifting seem, is appealing to them. What's the best way? For someone to get started should they contact someone like you and get right into it should, like what would you recommend for somebody that's whether they have experience in a d1 strength conditioning program and they got away from it or they're just hearing this now and they're like oh i didn't realize there's specific weightlifting 
clubs out there and I've been crossfitting it, but I really like weightlifting the most. Okay. They should just reach out. Yeah. We regularly encourage and start beginners at our club. I had two or three athletes join in the past couple months. Mm-hmm. One of which never touched a barbell for the clean and jerk before or the snatch. He had played baseball at Haverford College. He wanted a transitional sport because he's not going to play baseball anymore, except in maybe rec leagues. Mm-hmm. And he thought, okay, well, you know, weightlifting looks like fun. I'll give that a shot. And already making progress, getting ready to qualify for under 25 national championships. And people should also, you know, I think it's helpful if people understand that it's something that you can pick up, I think, within three to six months, uh, even with no background in sport. Mm -hmm. The lifts are technical, but easy to teach, if that makes sense. Like I don't, I, I've never not been able to teach somebody how to do a snatch or clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's any barriers to entry for people who really want to give it a go. And the nice thing about the sport is that it's like other sports in that there are stepping stones for achievement. So you learn how to do the lifts, you learn how to train, you learn how to train with some intensity. Then you prepare for your first local competition. If that goes well, well, if you're under 25 or you're a university student, then you can start thinking about, well, how can I get to a university regional meet or a university national meet? If you're not an under 25er or a university student, you can think, well, how can I get to one of these American Open Series meets, uh, two of which are held per year? And then from there, you can say, well, when can I be good enough to compete at national championships and now you're looking at about two or three years of investment going from perhaps never having any exposure to these lifts to competing at a big meet in vegas or columbus ohio or for instance the next american open series meet is going to be held in september and that's going to be in alberta canada so there's lots of opportunity for people to get involved in the sport and to very quickly find themselves doing an activity that provides them with more opportunities than they would have just going to the gym to get a workout in. Mm-hmm. You know, it can really help them structure themselves, set goals, become stronger, feel like they're improving at something that is skill-based. And, you know, without sounding too pretentious, find meaning in activity. Mm-hmm. Just going to the gym to bro out has value. And I can say that as somebody who did it for a couple of years after college, but finding another sport, it helps you build your life. And I can't stress that enough is that getting the opportunity to set goals for yourself and take on challenges is a real way to develop yourself as a person and develop greater meaning in your life. And and I think all of those are, are great about the sport. And I think, Part of what's great about it, too, is the partitioned out progressions that you can see. Yes. Right? You can see yeah. progress. You can look back at your programs or the the weight. The barbell is the most objectifiable thing in fitness, right? Agreed. You can look back and you say, okay, last year I was lifting this amount of weight. Now I'm lifting this. And you might not even realize it because it's incremental improvements. 
but you can actually look back and, and see the progress that you've made. And you'll see the progress in the way that you look in the mirror. You'll see the progress in body composition. You'll see the progress in the load that you're moving. But I think, and then in the competitions and how you're the level and you're competing in the placements that you're getting in these competitions. But I think it's, the sport is one, if you really like systematic progression and systems-based fitness, like this is the best sport for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that uh, other barbell and strength-based sports, such as powerlifting and strongman, also offer the same kind of systematic progression, and they have their appeal as well. Yep. But I, I agree with you. I think weightlifting, it definitely provides people with a very clear ladder to reach upward mm-hmm. and grow. Yep. So Absolutely. Yeah. So what about, what do you say to, I, I want to touch on this, people that think a barbell is intimidating and specifically maybe females, because you have a large female contingent in your gym. You have a great community and you have some very successful female athletes. You said you were, you've been the second or third ranked team nationally mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. Yeah. So what do you say to, you know, generally to male and female lifters who think a barbell is intimidating, but then maybe specifically speaking to the female athlete who has never used a barbell, this sounds appealing, but you know, they just, you know, associate a barbell with broing out in the gym and it scares them a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I haven't had that exposure in about 10 years or so. I, at, when I was at CrossFit center city running Liberty barbell club, I did have one athlete. She'd been a very good, uh, junior ranked tennis player in her home country in South America, but she had never touched a barbell. So she, she did feel a bit intimidated by it, but she wanted to give it a shot. She was no longer playing competitive tennis. And I think I just encourage people to, how to put this, to just give it a try. And we, we do have, there, you know, the, the barbells that we train with are of different weights. Uh, for instance, the lightest one weighs about five kilograms, which is 11 pounds. And for if somebody comes in and they, they have never done any strength training before, their steps towards a barbell might be a little different. So, for instance, I might say, hey, you know what we're going to do for the first month? We're going to do a lot of general physical preparedness work. And we're going to start with dumbbells. And I'm going to show you all the basics with dumbbells, including the deadlift, including the goblet squat, including the press. And we're going to work up from there. And then you're going to feel coordinated enough to try a barbell. And from there, I think the steps, a lot of people use just a PVC or a, you know, a broomstick to teach the lifts. I, I refrain from that. I think it's better if somebody has a little bit of weight in their hands. Uh, can feel a little bit more proprioception, pushing against an implement. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't see it as a challenge to overcome introducing somebody who might be a little hesitant about a barbell. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to get somebody into something that can, you know, maybe change their life, their life. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think, as you said before, touching on it real quick before, I want to move on to 
talk about your book, but I think this the carryover this then has to every other sport, especially power-based sports, and, and you touched on it real quickly of improving vertical jump and speed and overhead strength. I think this is just one of those foundational sports that you can it translates very well to everything else, but then you can always come back to it too when you're finished competition, competing in other sports. This can be a lifelong sport. And I know you've associated with, but we've seen patients lifting you know, into their late 60s because it's a lifelong sport that you can continue to see those progressions and compete at a national level. Yeah, I, uh, one of my favorite athletes to coach is he trains at CrossFit King of Prussia. His name's Gordy. He was a former marathoner and cyclist, and after 12 years of marathoning, his doctor told him, hey, you should stop this because you're going to need a new hip in two years. So he found CrossFit at age 58 or so. They started weightlifting, and now he's the national champion twice in a row and the national record holder in his master's bracket at age 60 and 65. And it's like... He's gotten a, a third sport. You know, he's a golfer full-time. He's retired now, so he golfs a lot. He no longer does the marathons that he used to do with his daughter and his family. He no longer rides his bike, but he crossfits and he weightlifts. And I do think it's a it's a great foundation, like you mentioned. I think, you know, among the sports that have universal applic- you know, application for other sport weightlifting and gymnastics and then a sport like wrestling or some other kind of ground-based combat sport. Uh, They provide athletes and people with skills that are immediately transferable to many other domains of activity. Absolutely. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And then from my perspective, when you look, you're looking at mortality as you get to someone in that age of a loss of strength or a loss of power and falls risks and osteoporosis. And, and this is a great way, low impact way to maintain the strength that you need to, to combat events against some of those, those comorbidities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my mother is 77 and she does CrossFit three times a week. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is barbell and dumbbell based. And she has no signs of osteoporosis or sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a very fit woman. She's very active. She walks probably five miles a day every day, goes to her CrossFit classes three times a week. And I think that with weight, you know, adding the weightlifting component for people as they grow older is, a, I mean, it's a proven way for them to stay healthy. I don't think there's any bones about it. You know, and weightlifting and functional fitness is something you can do right up until the time that you pass away. You know, we regularly have, I know that at the National Masters Championship this weekend, there are going to be more athletes in the 80 plus age bracket than there have ever been in this sport. Sometimes there's just one. This year, I believe there's like 15 or 20 men and women still doing snatches, still doing clean and jerks at 80 plus. It's uh, it's a fantastic sport. I'm my only regret is that I did not get into it when I was a child. Right. Yeah. So. Well, that's amazing, and, and clearly you have a passion for the sport, which brings me to your book, "The Sport Is Steroids: One Athlete's Quest to Set Records and Win." Can you tell us a little about your book? Because I know it's been received well. It's it's sold pretty well. Tell us about how that came to be and and what the book's about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I was still competing, there was a young man. His name was Pat Mendez. He trained out in Las Vegas. He had been a, a very good high school football player who was just a little too small for Division One programs. He had gotten, I believe, one or two offers, but nothing that was going to give him the kind of opportunity to go forward in sport the way he wanted to. He was a very, very competitive person. He pushed himself very hard. So he got into weightlifting. His name was Pat Mendez. He's still around. He no longer lifts. And he immediately used steroids to get, because his goals were, well, I want to set world records. I'm 18. I just graduated high school. And within a very short time, less than two years, he was lifting world record snatches in training and taking attempts that were 30 kilograms or more above the current national junior records and 10 kilograms or more above the senior records. And this is a a 19-year-old kid. He is still the only American to snatch 200 kilograms or more. And he's done 207 in training. And, you know, as a point of reference, there's probably about 20 athletes in history that have snatched 200 or more in all countries. You know, right now there's the the world record for the super heavyweights is, I'm going to mess this up. It's, I know that Lasha has done 220. I believe he's done just over that recently. Uh, he's a lifter from the country of Georgia. But no American had done that. Shane Hammond's record was 190 or 192 and a half, something like that. And Pat beat that pretty handily. And he was also one of the first big YouTube strength athletes that everyone immediately was aware of. Uh, YouTube didn't come out until 2005, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Instagram came out, what, six years later, seven years later? I don't know. And Pat immediately got a lot of recognition, like hundreds of thousands of views for his training lifts. And it was very impressive for people to see an American doing these kind of weights. At the time, people like John North and Donnie Shankle were training with Cal Strength out in San Ramon, California. And they had a very successful YouTube channel. And between the two of them and the, the other lifters of Cal Strength and Pat, people were finally becoming aware of weightlifting. Now, as it turns out, uh, while Pat did get the opportunity to compete in two, two different world championships and two different Pan Am games, he also got he also tested positive for his drug use on two separate occasions. And uh, the punishments basically forced him out of the sport. I believe his final sanction was eight years. So he just decided to step away. And in 2017, he and his then wife moved to Philadelphia and she was still competing in weightlifting and started training at our club and competing for our club. And so I got to know them pretty well. And my background was in journalism as a writer and I'd been working for the Inquirer and, I had always thought it would be fascinating to tell Pat's story. 
And so over the summer of 2017, I sat down with the two of them for about 10 sessions, each of which lasted about two and a half to three and a half hours of interviews. And I got all that material. And then over the next couple of years, I worked on it intermittently. The club had really grown. And 2018 was like a real banner year for us. It was, I think we had lifters in six different international meets. Mm-hmm. So I was traveling a lot. I went to Poland. I went to South America a few times. I went to Barbados for a competition. And we had had multiple senior national medalists for the first time. It was just a very busy year. The club grew a lot. So I didn't get to work on it until 2019 when I really said, okay, I'm going to sit down and finish this thing. Along the way, you know, being a journalist, I'm just naturally inclined to talk to people. And I wound up interviewing whether directly or indirectly, a couple dozen international coaches, many officials from, you know, both the IWF and the Pan Am Federation, just to get a sense of what the drug culture is really like in weightlifting. And the result was the book. So the book is a way of, it uses Pat's story as a lens through which to view PED use in not just weightlifting, but in all sport. I mean, I focus a lot on track and field and boxing and MMA and swimming and cycling as well in the book and as a way to tell the stories of certain athletes in those sports and how they've either evaded detection or through bribery and corruption. And and there was more of that in track and field than there's ever been in weightlifting. Mm-hmm. People need to understand that. Like weightlifting is just a good example of drug use in sport, whereas track and field and cycling and even swimming are perhaps the defining examples of drug use in sport. You know, there's the, the former head of international track and field currently can't leave his country because the moment he does, he'll get arrested for his role in corruption and bribery when he was the head of world athletics. So the book is uh, an exploration of those topics through Pat's narrative. Uh, So in that regard, it's a sports biography that tells a larger tale. And yeah, it's, it, it has been well received even though I still get people who come up to me at national meets two and a half years later that are like, Hey, I didn't know you wrote this book because there were efforts on the part of people in various organizations, not USA weightlifting. I might add to actively suppress journalistic coverage of the book. Mm -hmm. So the big way that word of mouth got out was through podcasting and podcasts like your own and, John North had me on his podcast, and that was very helpful to get the word out. I was on a few other podcasts that really helped promote. uh, Travis Mash's podcast really helped promote the book as well. And uh, it has managed to sell. It continues to sell a steady trickle of books every month on Amazon, which is the only place where I sell it now. Mm -hmm. And you can get both a Kindle edition and a paperback delivered right to your door. So... I'm very happy with it. You know, it's the second book that I published. I'm working on another book right now. And I'm glad that I got Pat's story out there. and You know, got some discussion of the role of drugs in our sport happening because it, it needs to change. 
and it's almost, you know, nobody's ever going to kick track and field out of the Olympics, but weightlifting has been threatened with expulsion from the Olympics because of the persistence of not so much the drug culture, but the corruption culture that accompanies it. Yeah. You know, for instance, in boxing, like there are certain countries in Eastern Europe where actual criminals are the head of the local boxing federations. Mm-hmm. And boxing has also been threatened with expulsion from the Olympics because of the the accompanying corruption that goes along with everything in a sport that doesn't clean itself up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no, like, Tomas Ayan, who had to be, he was the head of the uh, IWF, International Weather Federation, for almost two decades. He had to be forced out. There is no sense in which he should not be in a prison right now mm-hmm. for the amount of corruption he oversaw and, in my opinion, actively participated in. He's just, he and several of his cronies are just, you know, people that deserve to be in jail for their the things they've done to affect international sport in a negative way. So. Yeah. And, and it is a shame when the corruption comes into play because you, it's hard. You just want to see authentic competition where nobody's pushing the envelopes to, you know, to cheat, to, to succeed, right? And it's a shame when all these extracurricular things come into play that ruin the integrity of any sport. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's – and, you know, you can see it. And it's, it's – I would say no sport is immune. Uh, one of the – I went to a meet in Cuba recently on a plane ride from Philadelphia to Miami. I watched a movie that came out last year called Championship Season, which is about NCAA football and touches on some of the corruption that happens in that sporting system. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that any institution is immune from potential corruption. But the IOC and the Olympic movement is weightlifting isn't the only part of it. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, track and field going all the way up to the top. Uh, Corruption within WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency is also it's occurrence is so frequent as to be obvious. Right. To anybody who knows what's happening. So you know, and, I, and I'm saying this as somebody who truly loves and supports the Olympic movement in all sport. I think it is a great unifier of humanity and certainly achieves its goals of solidarity and peaceful competition. So, you know, I, I definitely don't want to take away from any virtue and value that the Olympics and weightlifting has provided. Uh, just to note that there are things that need to be cleaned up as well. So Absolutely. And I, I could go down this path with you and we could have a whole another three hour conversation about this. Yeah. Um, it's just a fascinating topic that I'm glad that you wrote a book about it that exposes it a little bit. And I'm glad that it's been well received. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. So what, what's next for you? You've, you've had all these accomplishments, you've traveled the world, you've written a book about the sport. What's, what's next for, for Jim Rudder? So my five-year plan involves coaching at least until, I would say, 2028 at this point. I have people that have expressed interest in sticking with the sport that long and 
They are very good at weightlifting now. By that time, they will be very, very good at weightlifting. Mm-hmm. I'm, like I said, working on another book that is not about sport. Well, that's not true. It Okay, it's, it's just fiction at this point. I'm also working on teaching materials for weightlifting. Uh, one of the goals at our local weightlifting organization has as a committee is to start a coaching mentorship program for weightlifting coaches in Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that. I'm working on educational materials right now. Uh, as I mentioned, I have lifters who have international competitions this year and going into next year. I have athletes at my club that I believe can be developed to the world championship level over the next five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. Uh, I very much enjoy writing. It's something I do pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. I don't see myself coaching weightlifting very far beyond 2028, unless I were to receive a position as the head coach of some other country. No, that, those are the circumstances under which I would continue coaching weightlifting. Yeah. This is something that does happen. Uh, a friend of mine who is in Montreal, fellow coach, he's from Cuba. At one point, he was the head coach of France, the head coach of Spain. He had been offered and turned down jobs in Tunisia and a few other places. So it's not unheard of for a good coach in one country to get offered the head coaching position in some other country. But other than that, I think I would like to return to writing full-time more than I currently can. You know, coaching, I'm at my club about 50 hours a week coaching. I probably spend another 15 hours a week working at home on things like that coaching mentorship program, on programming for the athletes, on helping to prepare events and upcoming competitions, and on outreach and, you know, just general, you know, it's like you have the, mm-hmm. you have your job and then you have the chores that are associated with your job. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh yeah, coaching is exhilarating, and also it's a, a massive time commitment if you want to do it successfully and to a level that is considered professional. The fitness industry in Philadelphia has all those ranges involved. People that coach one CrossFit class a week, people that own CrossFit gyms and have it as their full-time career, people that coach functional fitness at a place like, you know, uh, PHL athletics, people that coach powerlifting at Warhorse Barbell or coach powerlifting at Iron Sport, people that coach Strongman. You know, there's a lot, but it's to do it at the level which I would want to do it requires that much time. And I would like to be able to sustain that for another five years or so and then move forward into something else. I mean, uh, we talked about the writing, but this is weightlifting coaching is technically my third career that I've done for eight to 10 years or more. Before I was a full-time writer and editor, I taught philosophy and logic at Drexel and then at Widener. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about a decade as well. So weightlifting is my current longest career outside of writing. Uh, but I will be looking for, you know, something else five or seven years from now. 
But I love how your part of that is a mission to educate the up and comers, right? Yes, certainly. Yeah. yeah. So, go ahead. To continue to just perpetuate the growth of the sport and can further education, you know, within the United States and beyond, I'm sure, just to because your love for the sport is, is so apparent. And that's what makes you such a great asset to the Philadelphia fitness community. Thank you. Yeah, I think that one, if, if I'm able to do it, one goal I would like to achieve is to, there's currently no college level weightlifting textbook that you can purchase in America. There are big, massive tomes of information such as the weightlifting encyclopedia, which is systematic in its content, but not, it's not a teaching text, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So there is the former head of the European weightlifting federation is an Italian coach. His name is Antonio Urso. And he has produced a textbook that is usable for college. And the English translation is good. But there is no primary English language edition textbook for weightlifting coaching to be used at a college-level course. So if I can achieve that goal, I think that would be something I would like to leave behind for weightlifting. Hmm. Outside of myself, there are a couple other coaches in this country that have the academic experience, I believe, to do that. For instance, a colleague of mine, Vance Newgard, he's getting his PhD right now and also running a college program down in Georgia. Uh, he would be a likely candidate to do it also. But it is it is tough to think that, you know, we want to grow weightlifting in colleges, but we don't necessarily have the resources to teach it as a sport at universities yet. Mm -hmm. So that would be a good goal of mine. I love it. I'm excited to see what happens based off of all that. You have there's a lot going on in that head of yours, Jim, and I'm excited to see what happens over the next decade. That makes me excited for you. So now we we usually end these podcasts with a final five rapid fire question, just to give people more insight into who Jim Rudder is. And I think these are just fun questions we have fun with. Are you ready? Great. Let's go. What would you're walking into the gym on a Monday morning? What's your walkout song? My walkout song. Wow, it changes a lot. <laughs> uh, it's probably something from the '80s, like "Rock Me Amadeus" by Falco. Okay. Or like Def Leppard's "Pour Some Sugar on Me." Got it. Love it. Yeah. And then, what's your favorite exercise? Uh, that would be the clean and jerk. Yep. Yeah, it's. I don't do it as often as I'd like to, but. It's definitely the clean and jerk by far. Love it. If you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man. Cheese. I'm with you right there. Any particular kind of cheese? Any cheese is good. I love cheese. I eat like a pound a day. It's awful. So the next one would be your guilty pleasure. Red wine. You're a wine and cheese guy. I like yeah. out some time. Red wine or white wine? You said red. Red. Yeah, really good like. French Rhone wine or a good Bordeaux. I mean, have you seen the, the documentary on Netflix? I think it was Netflix about the the wine connoisseur who faked the wines. Like he was selling counterfeit I, wine. I have. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah, I, um, I wish I could make money like that because it's. Uh, I'm always. A, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by Kahneman. Yeah. Like I did like five book reports in like middle school on Kahneman. It was my teacher said something was wrong with me. 
So it's just it's amazing how people are able to do that. Yeah, but I think in, a, in another life, I think it would be fun to be a sommelier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe that's a future retirement project. Absolutely. So, and then finally, what's your favorite thing about the Philadelphia area? Uh, the the performing arts. Mm-hmm. So many great theater companies, and the opera is very good, and the ballet is very good, and there's a uh, smaller dance companies like Ballet X, which they're gaining national recognition all the time. They've been around, I think, 15 years now. But the, the subjects that I cover for the Inquirer were primarily theater and secondarily uh, dance. And I, I there's nothing I love more in Philadelphia than going out and seeing a play or a dance performance. Yeah. So, and, and we talked about it a little bit. Part of the reason I'm starting the podcast or have started is because I think the Philadelphia fitness community is largely underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that goes also for the performing arts in Philly as well as the restaurant scene. I think Philly, Philly is just an underrated city as a whole. Yeah. Hopefully we can help Im- increase you know the view of the fitness community in, in the country. Yeah, the restaurants are certainly getting their due. Yeah, uh, there have been several James Beard Award winners in the past couple of years in places like Forsythia and Laurel and Vernix and uh, I'm going to draw a blank on the one, but it's, it's a restaurant over in Fishtown and all they do is Pennsylvania style cooking and it's farm to table and just Elmwood. Yeah, that restaurant is awesome. And there's so many great BYOs. So, yeah, if you... I think you're right. I think there's a lot of underrated things happening in Philadelphia. And I personally am proud to be one of those things. Love it. And we appreciate you. So what's the best way, just in closing, what's the best way that if people want to get in contact with you, they can get in contact with you? Instagram. Okay. Primarily or my email address, which is philadelphiabarbell at gmail. And then remind me of your Instagram. What's your Instagram? Philadelphia Barbell Club. Excellent. And so guys, please, if you're looking to get into weightlifting in Philadelphia or you just want to, you know, pick Jim's brain about fitness, reach out to him. He's a great resource and, and we appreciate everything that you're doing, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Excellent. Hey, hold on a second. Don't leave yet. This is your host, Dr. John Herding, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fitness Philadelphia. If you did, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. They take less than five minutes and they go such a long way, we really do appreciate it. Number one, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to it, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever it may be. Number two, please leave us a favorable review. Number three, share it, put it on social media, talk about it with your friends, send it in a text message, whatever you can do to share this episode because we put a lot of work into it and we wanna make sure as many people are getting the value out of it as possible. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more, please go to precisionperformancept.com backslash fitness Philadelphia. Thank you so much. This is Dr. John Herding. This is Fitness Philadelphia and have a great day.